I like hymn histories. You all know that. And if you don't know the history of that one, that is because Philip Bliss got angry. <laughs> That's his testimony. His testimony is, I was angry. Uh, they wouldn't let him use a hymn that he wanted to in his children's hymnal. And he wrestled with it all night. And when the Lord got done dealing with him, woke him up in the middle of the night. And he said, uh, it is not a wonder that I love you. It is a wonder that you would love someone like me. When you realize very quickly that Jesus Christ is so amazing, it is really hard to figure out why he would like me in any way, shape, or form. And it's pretty, pretty hard to figure him out on that one, outside of the fact that he just loves you. That's all there is to it. Let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, if you would. Acts chapter 2. Brother Paul was preaching, I believe it was Wednesday night's message, and he was in this passage, and he made just one comment toward a verse, and it kind of sparked a lot of thought for me. And so this morning, that's where we're going to be, Acts chapter 2. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, we'll pick up verse number 41, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. But if you don't know what's happening here in Acts chapter 2, of course, Acts chapter 1, the uh, apostles, the disciples, they saw Jesus get taken up into heaven. And uh, he goes up and he hands them all power and he goes ahead and gives them uh, their admonition. And so they go and Acts chapter 2, you have Pentecost and Peter's preaching at Pentecost and the disciples and there they are and they're preaching. And you get to Acts chapter 2 at the end of the chapter in verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did, not meet, uh, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so here we have in, uh, this group, right? And they, verse 41, they've received the words that has been preached. Uh, now I know Acts chapter 2 is not the same as our salvation. All right, so I'm going to make one thing very clear. Acts chapter 2 is not your salvation. It is a national message to the nation of Israel to repent and turn to God. That is, the, that is the job of Acts chapter 2. It is not the same as the message you and I preach. But the message that you and I preach, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that message that Jesus Christ can save to the uttermost all of them that would call upon Him, the message that we preach that Jesus Christ gave His life a ransom for many, that He died not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, the message that you and I preach that to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the message that we preach that repentance and turning to Jesus Christ and trusting Him alone to save you from your sins and deliver you from the death and hell that you are about to spend eternity in is the message that you and I preach from the very Word of God. After they receive it, now you and I, we received some things. If you're in here this morning and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you received the gift of eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. The gift was bought and paid for at Calvary. 
the purchase was set up, the down payment was made, it's ready to go, and whosoever will, let him come, take a drink of the water of life freely. You get a free gift if you want it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The truth of salvation is that it's a free gift, and if you would receive that gift, if you would accept that from God, if you would go ahead and take Jesus Christ as your Savior, His promise is that He will forgive you of all of your sins, He will give you a home in heaven, and it is eternally secured and yours forever. That's the promise made. And we receive Jesus Christ and we take Him as our Savior and then we're supposed to be added onto the church. We're supposed to go ahead and ultimately operate within the confines of the church. Now, in my opinion and in the scriptures, you find it very easily and very clearly. There is a, what we like to refer to as a universal church. Some people don't really like to call it that because they feel that's a Catholic term. And that's fine. I don't, whatever. All right. Uh, either way, it is the entire body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody who has ever been saved, born again, trusted Christ as their Savior, everybody who's part of that is part of the body of Jesus Christ. They're part of the church. God references them as the church. Then there's what you and I have this morning, a local assembly that pictures the large picture, a tiny picture of what God has done universally in a world. And so you and I are a church. We gather together. We meet. We're assembled. And as we meet, there are certain things that go along with that idea of meeting together. Not only do we meet together, we meet together in order to accomplish the same goal. We want the same things. We desire the same. The vision is supposed to be there together. We're supposed to work things out. And the way the church is supposed to operate is verse number 42. They're supposed to continue. And I'm going to pull three things out. I'm going to include breaking of bread in with fellowship, all right? I'm going to include those two together. So we got three things in that verse we're going to look at. If I get through all of it this morning, it may be a land speed record for me. So we may do this tonight, all right? We may finish it tonight. I'll keep an eye on the time, and I don't want to keep you too long this morning. Uh, but ultimately... To be a part of not just the universal church, but to be a part of a local church, some things happen. They work together in certain areas. And so we're going to look at those this morning. And Brother Paul had made a mention to this, that the church, this is the church right here. This is how it works. This is the functionality of the church. And so let's go ahead and uh, I believe this is a great spot to look at. Let's have a word of prayer. And let's go ahead and look at ultimately what we should continue in as we work together as the church. Father, I do pray you would bless our service today, that the word of God would be magnified, that Jesus Christ would be praised, that, uh, Lord, everything would be done to the praise, the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I do pray if, Father, if anybody is lost in this room, don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're not part of the church, I pray they would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ today alone to save them. And, Father, I do pray you'd give me clarity of thought and mind as I preach, give me wisdom on what to say, how to say it, Lord, and what to do with it, Father, that you would be pleased with everything that's said and done. Lord, once again, we pray you would work in hearts today. Come back soon, Lord. We'd love to see your face today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, the first thing he says is, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. 
Uh, so you've got the doctrine. Then he says, and fellowship. So you've got fellowship. And in breaking of bread, I count that as the same when in, in inclusive with fellowship. And he says, and in prayers. And so fellowship, uh, doctrine, fellowship, and prayers all seem to go together for what the church is supposed to be doing. And it's working together to do those things. Notice these aren't in exclusive individual people doing these things. This is an inclusive group. They continue to do these things. And the first thing they continue in is they continue in doctrine, the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine is very particular throughout the Bible. Doctrine goes ahead and uh, ultimately separates things. Doctrine is what you are taught, what you learn from the Bible. It's the teachings that we hold to. It's the doctrines, the belief that we have that the Bible says this, it is true, and we are going to follow that. Now, Jesus Christ makes some certain distinctions, right? He tells the, he tells the disciples in Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 9 that uh, they are supposed to keep doctrine and not their traditions of men. So man's traditions, that's not doctrine. It's not the same. Uh, you know, we get up here and, uh, you know, you sing, you, you sing a song and then you have prayer and then we sing another song and then we do the announcements and then we take up the offering and then we sing another song and then another one and then we get to the preaching. Then we have the invitation and we all go home. You realize that is not doctrine. <laughs> That's just kind of what we do. And if Brother Andrew or I vary from that, it's okay. Don't hurt yourselves, right? If we make a change on that, oh man, that's doctrine. No, it's not doctrine. It's just how we do things, all right? We like to change things every once in a while. Keep you on your toes. I'd hate for you to be bored, right? And so we try to do those things. But the truth is we do have a certain order. There's a reason we do those things. There's a reason we sing. There's a reason we pray. There's a reason all those pieces go together. There's a reason we take up offerings on Sunday and not on Wednesday. You say, I didn't know that. You should read your Bible. You would know. You'd find it. You'll find it in there. There's a reason we only do it on Sunday. We don't do it on Wednesday. So well, we did it during the missions conference. That was something special. It's for the missionaries. It's all going to them. You say, what are we doing? You're doing things according to the Bible. There's certain doctrine that you follow. You follow it a certain way. We open up a Bible and we preach out of the Word of God. Uh, oftentimes you get into some other types of churches and you know what you get? You get a scripture reading. They don't explain any of it. They go ahead and they read some things and then away you go. And you are left scratching your head going, what? I don't even know what he said. I don't know what that means. You know what preaching is? We get the Bible. You know what it says? It says they opened the book and then they gave the sense of it. <laughs> They try to explain what just happened, why it happened, why God put that in there. That's preaching. Often it evokes a response from the crowd that goes ahead and understands, hey, if that's what's supposed to happen, I should be doing something differently. Or a reaction of, thank God we've been doing that thing good and, and just thank Him that He, even through our ignorance sometimes, we didn't know why we did it, but praise the Lord, we were doing it right and He blessed it. And so thank Him for just being so good. And all those pieces... Doctrine is not the commandments of men. Well, the Lord even warns him in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 12, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And he says, beware of their doctrine. Not beware of their good works. They were, they were good. They were righteous. They were, 
He holds them up as you have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. They're righteous people. They're good people. So what was the problem? The problem was their doctrine wasn't right. You can find perfectly good people whose doctrine is not right, and you better watch out. There's a guy. I'm about to get to this right here. In fact, I will mention verse, Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. The statement is, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that ye have learned, and avoid them. To mark somebody means you get to point them out and say their name. That's, that's what you get to do. So I'm going to be naming some names here in point number one on doctrine because they're false doctrine. And that doctrine goes ahead and you have to mark it. Why? Because it causes divisions and offenses. And if you aren't avoiding them, you will get pulled into what they believe. You'll start to wonder about that thing and you'll start looking at it and all of a sudden, you know what happens to people? We're not as smart as we think we are. You start messing around with some things, I'll give a couple. Um, you want to go ahead and read A.W. Pink's books or MacArthur's books, you know what you'll find? Calvinism. Those two men are extremely brilliant. They're way smarter than I am. They are brilliant. By the world's standard, they're brilliant. You want to keep reading it? You know, you know what you'll do? You'll start marveling at their brilliance and think they know what they're talking about when they rest the scriptures to their own destruction. They use eloquency of speech to go ahead and convince people who are not as smart as they are. You say, did you say I'm not as smart as John MacArthur? I'm not as smart as John MacArthur. I, I would dare say most of the people in this room does not have the IQ of John MacArthur. He's a smart guy, but you know what he's done? He's tried to take a, a God who is infinite, a God who knows everything, a God who has all of that under control and put him in the box that John MacArthur can understand. And it doesn't work. And as smart as he is, the wisdom of the world becomes foolishness to God and to his people if you pay attention. You want to go ahead and try to put God in that little box that he has? You'll miss. He won't fit. He never does. You want to go ahead and run toward Calvinism? You know what you'll find? You'll find it doesn't work. You run into these problems. You run into the problem of whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what's the problem with that? If it were just to a few and just the elect, you know what you'd have? Whomsoever will. That's why you start off a formal business letter to whom it may concern. Because the only people who are supposed to read it are the ones that it matters to. Why would God leave an open-ended letter to everybody in the world when he wouldn't let everybody in? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. He's too smart for his own good. Brilliant man. But if you get reading, you know what you'll find? Boy, he's really smart. And I've seen men after men, pastors, run toward those things because you know what they did? They, they got in awe of his, of his brilliance. God doesn't need brilliance. He doesn't need it. If you want to go ahead and take your brilliance over his omnipotence and omniscience, then go ahead and do so. But you'll be in the weeds and completely unable to see him. You realize that uh, the wisdom that the world has, the doctrines that they try to hold are no good. Beware the doctrine, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. He tells them the doctrine of Balaam and the doc doctrine of the Nicolaitans. He hates both of them in Revelation chapter 2. 
The doctrine of Balaam, and then he's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Say, doctrine of Balaam, what was that? Mix the people. (laughs) The people of God with the world. God doesn't like that. You know what you have in a bunch of these other churches? You have worship where you bring in the world's music. Bring that in so that we can get people in, so that we can mix the world in with the religion and the truth of the Word of God. Doesn't work. And God hates it. He is not for mixing the world with the church. That's not your job. That is not what he's looking for. He's looking for people to stand on the Bible, on the Word of God, and go ahead and trust him, and go ahead and believe him, and pick up the old hymns, and go ahead and sing those, and go ahead and look at him as exactly who he is, and quit trying to add in all these other things to draw the crowd. Amazingly, God doesn't need a program. He doesn't doesn't need a special little program for you. You know what he needs? He needs the Word of God. And he needs you to allow the Word of God to do what it says. That's what he needs. The Nicolaitans, that's that's the power over the people. That's the, the, the hierarchy, the church leadership, that I'm better than you are. That I'm more amazing than you. Uh, one of the best descriptors I've ever heard of the pastorate is this. guy was standing up in the front of a church, a huge church, big building. He looked all the way to the back and he said, uh, I see a man... In, uh, in, a, in a green sweater, and blah, 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 describes him. Am I better because I know that? No. That'd be foolish. Say, so what's the difference? I just have a different perspective on the room. Because I'm standing here, and you're sitting there looking at me. I'm looking that way. You're looking this way. So what does God do? Sometimes he gives the pastor a different perspective than everybody else. Because he has to see everything that other people don't get to see. He's not better for it. He just has a different view of it. That's all the difference. Because you realize you don't need me to get to God. What am I going to do for you? I can't forgive your sins. I can't go ahead and be the mediator between God and men. (laughs) How's that supposed to work? You don't need me to get to God. You need you to open your mouth and get to God because that's how you do it. You can pray. You can talk with Him. You have a personal relationship with Him. You have a walk with Him. You don't need me to open the Bible and read it to you so that you get some reading in for the day. You're supposed to open that and read it yourself. You don't need me to understand the Scriptures, although if you have a question, I'll gladly try and answer that for you. But the truth is, you don't need the pastor for a daily walk with God. Now, the pastor's job is important. There are parts of that that are very important where he is supposed to do what I'm doing right now and this is different than your own personal Bible reading. This is the time God speaks to a crowd of people and gets to work in their hearts and work together in the fellowship and the doctrine and the, all those things are all part of that. Coming to church is still amazing. The Lord commands it and all those pieces and I won't get into that. But the truth is, you and I have some doctrines we're supposed to Avoid because he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 that you're not supposed to be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So we get real solid on doctrine. But you know the problem that people have with doctrine is this. Doctrine always causes divisions. It separates people. Well, Jesus isn't divisive. I mean, he wants everybody together. No, he doesn't. 
His statement is, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And he was going to divide men. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the most polarizing character in all of history. He's more polarizing than LeBron James and Tom Brady and all those guys. He's more polarizing than all these guys that you could ever hold up. He is the one who defines whether you're on one side or the other. He divides men. He divides them and divides them and divides them. The problem is that preachers don't like the word doctrine because they know that it divides everybody. Seventeen times Paul writes to Timothy in 1st and 2nd Timothy and to Titus. Seventeen times he mentions the word doctrine. Doctrine. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. He's doing that to who? The preachers. You better teach, take heed to good, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Sound doc he keeps pounding on it and pounding on it and pounding on it. You say, why does he do that? Because doctrine matters. The church is founded upon doctrine. If the teaching is wrong, the people will be weak and they will not have the truth. The teaching must be there. The preaching must be there. These folks that get out there and you know what they do? They do all these things and you know what they've done? They've tried to teach some things that aren't in the Bible or they rest the scriptures and they twist them so that they can get a view that they want so that everybody will follow them and believe them. They put it up on their YouTube channel and get a little following like Stephen Anderson. Stephen Anderson can't figure out the book of Romans, but he's supposed to be a Baptist preacher? Guy's an idiot. You say, oh, that's terrible. Uh, you might want to go back to Proverbs. Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. He that soweth discord among brethren. You know, it's strange to me. He doesn't like the hands and he doesn't like all those other pieces. But when he gets to the person who wants to sow discord, he goes, I don't even like that guy. I don't like him at all. <laughs> well, God loves everybody. No, he doesn't. Jacob, have I loved Esau, have I hated? God doesn't love everybody. He's willing to save everybody. He loved him enough to die for him. But boy, you know what? You start walking sideways against him, you know what you'll get? You'll get the wrath of God abideth on him forever. You want to mess with the book? You want to mess with the doctrine? You want to mess with all that? You know what God will do? He'll remove you eventually. He'll let you be there as a false prophet so you can draw away all the people who really are just going to go that direction anyways. And then he'll turn around and say, okay, I'm done using you. Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. That's what he does. He'll let you be, that two-edged sword will come out and it'll cut to heal or it'll cut to kill. It'll be up to you. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. You and I are in a Baptist church this morning. Now, a bunch of Baptist churches have gone terrible directions. Doesn't change a whole lot for me. I'm not going to change the name of the church. I'm not going to change, I'm not taking Baptists off. Let them take it off. They're the ones who aren't Baptists. You realize a Baptist believes certain things? Just the name automatically should delineate certain things. The first on the list is, it's, a, it's the acronym, right? The Bible is the sole authority of all matters of faith and practice. The Bible decides what we do and don't do, and why we do and why we don't. That's what, that's what it's there for. And in our case, it is solely a King James Bible. That's our church. 
you turn to the pages and you find out very quickly if you got our Constitution. Uh, and some I have to get to our Constitution too because they're talking about possibly joining. You get to our Constitution, you know what you find? Number one on the list is the Scriptures. It's King James Bible. We believe the King James Bible here is so important and solid that it overrules every other version in the world, including the Greek and Hebrew. You say, how do you get that? Because you have advanced revelation that you don't have in a Greek and a Hebrew. Say, can you prove that? Absolutely. Feel free. I'll turn the pages. We'll go ahead and look at it. The truth is that God promised to preserve the word of God in your ability to get it. <laughs> Psalm chapter 12, he promised it. And he gave it to you. And he gave it to you. Interestingly, I won't get into all of this because this will take me forever. But we do not believe that the Bible is just simply the Bible and we get to just take it or leave it. We believe that the King James Bible is absolutely perfect, inerrant, uncompromised, unchanged, and that it is the inspired Word of God right now on the planet. You say you have scripture for that? Well, his promise is, uh, of course, in Psalm chapter 12, that he would preserve it, he would keep it from this generation forever. Which one is it? That is the easiest argument that I have. If it's not the King James Bible, I know people who say the NIV is perfect. I know somebody who says the ESV is perfect. Okay, I'm not taking it from you. You believe that? Hold it. My problem is, it's whichever one feels best today is what everybody wants to run to. No, one of them's right. Why? Because things that are different are not the same. I have a question real quick. Is the, is the, uh, is the Mormon's Jesus Christ the same as yours? They don't believe who he is. Is the Catholic's Jesus Christ the same as yours? No, he just holds the same name. Just because it has Holy Bible stamped on the front doesn't make it that. Just because it says Jesus doesn't make him Jesus. You find very quickly that if it's different, he's not the same. That means it's not the same. It doesn't have the same power. It doesn't have the same status. You realize that the Jesus of the Mormon church does not save anyone. But yours does. The Jesus Christ of the Bible saves whosoever will that would come to him and trust him. It's a whole lot different. The Bible is a whole lot different. We also believe in the dispensation, in the dispensations of the Bible. We are dispensationalists here. So what does that mean? That God deals with different people in different times, different ways. The people in the Old Testament and the people in the New Testament are not saved the same way. So how do you know that? Because in the Old Testament, David is asking, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, we just talked about Saul this morning in Sunday school. Saul had the Holy Spirit and he lost the Holy Spirit. Do you ever lose yours if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Well, no. Well, then they're different. There's something different happening. Jesus Christ in the Old Testament is a shadow. They don't even know his name. What is thy name? Or what is his son's name if thou canst tell? They don't know it. The angel of the Lord is wrestling with Jacob. Tell me thy name. He never does. He changes Jacob's name to Israel and leaves. Over and over and over. He's a shadow in the Old Testament. 
They do not know who He is. They do not know what He's going to do. You can look at the verses and you and I looking back can go, Isaiah 53 is Jesus. Psalm 22 is Jesus. We can do all those verses over and over again. You know what they don't know? They don't know Jesus. How do you get saved by the name of Jesus if you don't know His name? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Well, that's two different things. They can't call on Jesus Christ back there in the Old Testament. They don't know Him. He hasn't died. And a testament is not in fact until the death of the testator. How do you call upon Jesus Christ to save you when He's not coming for another 2,000 years to die? You can't. He hadn't died yet. It has no effect. Why would Jesus Christ have to deal with the law if he did the law until his death? Why would he bother? Over and over. We believe in the dispensations. We believe that there is one true God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Those three are one. 1 John chapter 5 is in your Bible. Verse number 7. You don't have that? That's because you don't have a Bible. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God to take away the sin of the world. We believe that Jesus Christ gave His life and that the Holy Spirit regenerates us and that God the Father is the one who keeps us. We believe that the evidence of the Holy Ghost is the fruit of the Spirit not speaking in tongues. Salvation is the indwelling of the Holy Ghost and He came in and it's not speaking in tongues, it's believing on Jesus Christ and then He saves you and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and now you can do all those things in Galatians 5 that you never could without Him. We believe the devil is real. Satan, Lucifer. By the way, my favorite line in our entire constitution is in this paragraph right here. I like it so I'm going to read it. Not only is he our tempter, not only is he the enemy of God, not only is he going against us, not only is he the accuser of the brethren, all those things. He is destined, however, to final defeat at the hands of God's own Son and to the judgment of an eternal justice in the lake of fire, a place prepared for him and his angels. That's a wonderful paragraph right there. I just like the end of that. Just He's, he's destined to final. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, there's no change in that. On that one, I guess I'd be a Calvinist. There's no change in that. That's going. So what is that? That's in the Bible. He's got that locked down. There is one, one destination for the devil. He is not going to win. We believe in creation. The literal account of creation in Genesis chapter 1, that it is six literal consecutive days, 24-hour periods, evening and morning, no gaps in between, no weird things going on. Day number seven, he rests 24-hour days. That's exactly what we believe. It's what the Bible describes, that God created everything. There is no adding to it. There's no adding and growing and changing and evolving. And what, there, we're not theistic evolution here. We believe the truth of the Bible, that when he starts day one, away we go. <laughs> the fall of man, we believe that man was created in innocence and chooses, by consequence, he chooses to sin and go against his creator. And because of that, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Salvation is by grace through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And by that we are justified by faith and pardoned for our sins. And God is working through us to be sanctified day by day. Growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to live a cleaner life today than we did yesterday. Trying to go forward and not back. We also believe that God set up the family. The first institution that marriage is a man and a woman. If you really want to slide it in there as they were at birth. Because now you live in a world so crazy they can't even figure that out. It's a husband and a wife and their children become the family. That's the way God ordained it and that's the only thing God ordained in that respect. We also believe in the sanctity of human life. We are against abortion, euthanasia, infanticide, suicide, all those things. We're against those things. We don't believe that's the way God wants it. The Bible is very clear on that. We also believe that children are a blessing from God and you ought to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We believe that the civil government, as much as we don't like our civil government at times, is appointed by God. And that God puts in those who we deserve as our rulers. And we may not like them, but as a people, you want to be wicked, righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we understand that the civil laws that we follow are ordained by God, and the only time we go against them is ultimately when it is contrary to the absolute will of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to obey God rather than man. The church is the last thing founded by God and he goes ahead and set us up and gives us the rule and uh, that falls under A, I haven't gotten there yet, but A, the autonomy of the local church, that the church is set up to be completely self-governed. It runs self-governing. We don't have a hierarchy where we go and I got to go talk to some pope or priest or bishop or cardinal or whatever else they want to come up with. We're not, going, we're not part of a convention where we got to go ahead and deal with the president of our convention or anything. Nothing. Why? Because God designed the church to be autonomous, to run by itself, to be governing of its own work and actions. That you and I can freely associate with anybody we'd like to, but nobody else has any deed or claim upon what we do or why we do or how we do. The mission of the church is, of course, the Great Commission, make disciples, baptize them, and teach and instruct them how to be a Christian. Not only that, but we believe in the, uh, the priesthood of the believer. I mentioned this earlier, that every believer is a priest with God. They have access to God. They stand between the lost and Jesus Christ pointing the way. That's the job of the priest, right? The job of the priest in the Old Testament was to go ahead and show the people God and to get God down to the people <laughs> and try to reconcile the two parties to one. Wasn't well, that your job in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? We're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. He committed to us the word of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. And all. That's the priest's job. The priest's job is to go ahead and introduce somebody to, hey, this is what we do so we can have a right relationship with God. And all we do is go ahead and have communion with God. And then he gives us two ordinances. Two commands. One is baptism. After salvation, you have baptism. Not part of salvation, after salvation. 
get baptized by immersion. Now, here's where you get off on those weird people. So it's those weird people. Those weird people that go ahead and say, well, if you've never been baptized in a Baptist church, you're probably not good enough. Sorry, I don't believe that. If you weren't baptized in a Baptist church that was started by a Baptist from a Baptist church with Baptists, then you're not good enough. You say, are you serious? That's seriously what people teach. Ridiculous, but that's what they teach. That you've got to get your baptism all the way back to John the Baptist because he was called the Baptist, which is also stupid because he wasn't a Baptist like you and I are a Baptist. <laughs> what in the world are you talking about, man? You are messed up. Well, he baptized Jesus, okay? He baptized Jesus for national baptism of Israel. And God did it to fulfill all righteousness. It's messed up. <laughs> That's not your baptism. Your baptism is a picture to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your Savior, and you identify with him publicly. Then he has the Lord's Supper. We also don't practice closed communion either. The Lord's Supper, communion, it is a memorial for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The price that was paid. Both of the ordinances of the church are so that you remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. That is amazing. And it is also sad. You say, why? Because you had to be commanded to remember what he did for you. That's pretty rough. That's how much confidence he had that you and I would remember the great things that Jesus Christ had to do to save you and I. Because you know what happens to us? We think we're better than we are. Right? We forget that we've been washed and that we were a mess before he ever showed up. And we get down the road a little bit, we start feeling self-righteous, and we look down at those new guys who just got saved, and we're like, eh, you know, they really just, they need to get things straightened out. We forgot the, wet, the pit we came out of and the mess we were before he ever picked us up out of the miry clay and set our feet upon a rock and established our going. He goes ahead. So what does he do? He goes, I'm going to have you do two things so that you remember you weren't that great to start with either. You needed me just as much then as you do now. Don't forget how great he is. Not only that, we believe in the personal, visible, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pre-tribulation, pre-millennium, pre-pre-pre-pre. You can't get it any earlier than us. No way. We're going. Before anybody else, we're going. The dead in Christ will go, and then we're up. That's it. That's it. We're number two on the list. If we're still breathing, we're going second. And we're doing it before everything goes completely haywire into a tribulation. Now, there's this new thing, and we got some folks that are sucked into this stupidity. Pre-wrath. You start hearing that word, run. You hear that little, little phrase right there. Oh, it's a pre-wrath rapture. No, it's garbage. That's garbage. By the way, I'm going to mention somebody's name and some of you aren't going to like me. But I'm going to mark somebody because I need you to avoid them. Because it's causing offenses and divisions. Patrick Braun is not sound doctrinally any longer. I know your friends. I know he has friends here. You say, oh, you're bad-mouthing him. No, I'm not. I'm being honest. He's tried to argue with me on it. I've talked with him about it. I gave him some things on it. 
He doesn't want to listen. And he's talked to people in this church repeatedly about it. He will not take the admonition from me or anyone else. It's sad. And I don't like it. And I wish I could pull him back and, and help him. And many of you wish you could do the same. But you've got to be careful. That is not what the Bible teaches. Say, so what does that mean? That is, that is code signs for a mid-tribulation rapture. That's what that is. That's a mid-trib rapture. You and I, we aren't, we aren't going through any part of it. He hasn't appointed us onto wrath, but onto redemption. He hasn't, there's no reason. There's verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. You know what they've done? You know what they cannot figure out? People that believe these things, you know what they cannot figure out? They cannot figure out that his coming and his advent are two different things. It's Stephen Anderson. It's, you just keep naming the guys. There's a million of them. You know what they've done? They've, they confuse and they confound the fact that Jesus Christ coming to get you and I is not the same as his advent when he steps back down on the planet the second time and saves Israel. They can't separate the two. They can't figure out that the day of the Lord, the day of Jesus Christ, they can't figure out that the day of his wrath are different things. They can't figure out that there's a division between these events. And some of them overlap because they have to overlap. But they can't figure it out. And so they say, well, you know what? It must all be together. No. <laughs> Start delineating. You know what you'll find? You'll find you and I go up at the day of Jesus Christ. We go up. <laughs> but the day of the Lord. Vengeance of our God is not our day. The day of Christ is at hand. Second Thessalonians. There's a delineation. So what's the problem? They don't understand the scriptures and then they go ahead and act like they do and they throw everything out there and act like it's something amazing when it's not and they go ahead and they twist them to make them fit. You can't twist them to make them fit. You'll end up in a mess. So what's the problem? The problem is they, they don't read the Bible and define it the way God defined it. So I'm not so sure about that. Go ahead, ask me. I'll take you passage after passage. I'll do the same thing I did. Say, <laughs> so what's in the Bible? That you and I don't ever step one foot into the time of Jacob's trouble. We're not Jacob. We're not Israel. By the way, that's the other thing. They want to replace Israel with you and I. We're not Israel. We're the seed of Abraham grafted in spiritually. We're not Abraham's seed, not literal. And all those promises he made in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel have nothing to do with you and I. They have everything to do with the nation of Israel. And you get that out of the book of Romans. If Romans would just be followed, you know what you'd have? You'd have sound doctrine. Say, man, you got all that out of doctrine? I'm not even done. I told you this is going to have to be two parts. I can't do all this in one service right here. I mean, I guess I could, but we'd be here a lot longer. The I in the Baptist distinctives is for individual soul liberty. It is that you and I get to make a choice entirely of our own. That, you know, if Brother Ed, if Brother Ed wants to eat pork, and I don't eat pork because, oh, pork is terrible and God told me not to, okay. 
but I don't hold it against Brother Ed that he eats pork, and he doesn't hold it against me that I don't. Although, if you don't eat bacon, I might. Anyways, um, Lord help us. Uh, getting into the days of the judges when every man did right in the sight of his own. Oh, anyways, uh, the idea, well, you know, I just, uh, there's certain things, right? There's, there's absolutes in the Bible. There's absolutes of things that we do and we don't do. But then, there's that area. I don't like calling it a gray area because not, God's not gray. He's very much black and white, but he's black and white to the individual. And all that has to deal with, in my opinion, and, and I think I could support it pretty quick with Scripture, is that you have things in your life that are weaknesses and faults and things that you have let in in your past that maybe me or someone else doesn't have in their past. And so you know what God has done? He says, you can't do that because you might go down that road the wrong direction. So I got to stop you back here so you don't go over there. But me, he may go, you got this problem over here. I'm going to stop you here so that you don't go over there with that one. Two different problems, two different solutions, two different standards. But they're individual. Why? Because you and I aren't the same. I don't have the same weaknesses you have. We may overlap in some areas and we may not do the same things in certain areas, but there are certain things where, you know what? You all know, most of you know, I got off in the world with, with my music and with all these things. And you know what? I, you know, I'm a little bit strict on my music compared to some other people. I'm pretty hardline on some of my things that I listen to or don't listen to. I'm a little more, more strict on some of that than some other people in this room. You say, oh, that's terrible. You're awful. No. I, I, the Lord puts your line in. Go ahead and go with whatever your line is. It's not my job to draw your line on some of that. It's just not. Some of you watch certain things that I wouldn't watch or I watch things that you wouldn't watch or whatever, and back and forth we go, and we can do this all day. But that's what's great about individual soul liberty. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. He that eateth not, eateth not unto the Lord. <laughs> what are you doing? Just try to do what the Lord told me to do and not hold it against anybody else that they don't do all the cool things that I do or they do things that I would never do or whatever. He says, uh, uh, S, we're actually in the passage, a saved, baptized church membership. In order to be part of the church, in order to be part of the membership of the church, saved, and then they were baptized, and then they were added onto the church, such as should be saved. That's what we do. Save them, baptize them, and let them join. Uh, there's two offices that the Lord gives. Only two. Sorry, ladies. It's pastors and deacons. That's it. There's no deaconesses. My wife does not co-pastor with me. That's just weird. Uh, it's just not, that's not how it works. Say why? God laid out all the rules for it in Timothy and in Titus. He lays it out. Tells you what's supposed to be and what's not supposed to be. By the way, not one pastor and not one deacon has ever lived up to everything on those lists. There isn't one in the world. So what are they trying to do? Just striving to do it. Be as close as we can to that list right there. You know, nobody's blameless, but that's always the first category. <laughs> blameless. You ever done anything wrong? Yep. <laughs> you still do things wrong? Yep. 
So are you blameless? I don't feel like it. So what are you trying to do? Are you always given to hospitality? No, not always given to hospitality. Some days you know what I want to do? Hide. <laughs> like Saul amongst the stuff. Lord, please. Don't let him see me in here. Right? So what is that? That's our weaknesses. But God uses weak men to accomplish great things sometimes. That's what it does. And then S is a wonderful thing, and it's the separation of church and state. We believe that the church and the state are not the same entities. You realize that God, we, we actually cover that in, in the institutions founded by God. The church and the state are not the same thing. This is where we get into these discussions about voting and, you know, who do you vote for and the worst person in the world is on the, on the ballot and, you know, morally they're terrible. How do I vote for them as a Christian? I know I'm looking and everybody loves this argument and I hate this argument, so I'm going to throw it out. Well, you've got to go the lesser of two evils. That's the worst argument ever. <laughs> they're both then evil and I shouldn't choose anybody. I should do a write-in ballot for Pastor Legault. Like that's, I mean, come on. Choose the best person you know and pick them, right? I mean, just, what do you do? And the answer to this question, and, and I believe is very clear in the Bible, the Lord goes, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. They're two separate things. Now that doesn't mean we ignore the fact that we're Christians. So what do we have? We understand that what we want to do is we want to pray for those that have authority over us and the rulers, and we want to do that. Why? That we may live a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So then the question is, which one's going to let me do that? Who's going to let me live a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty? Who's not going to punish me for doing the right thing? Who's going to let me keep giving out the gospel and not close down my doors? Who's going to go ahead and let me keep doing what I need to do so that I can win somebody to Jesus Christ and not feel like they're going to come break down the door with AK-47s and go, who's going to do that for me? Okay, I'm voting for them. <laughs> Say, oh, they're not moral men. Yeah, but I don't need them to be moral men. They're politicians. You're not going to find one. If you can barely get pastors and deacons to attempt to get the list of what they're supposed to be. Those guys aren't even trying. They're not. Let's be honest. The vast majority, 99.9%, .9 they're not trying to be good and just and amazing men. But you know what they are? They're people who make some of the decisions. And if I can stay free because this guy's in, free because that guy's in, I'm choosing the guy who's keeping me free so that I can do what I need to do and have liberty to preach the gospel. I understand they're not moral. None of them are moral. They're terrible. <laughs> Most of them are awful. You'd never want them in your house. You certainly wouldn't be friends with them and hanging out. But you realize this is why doctrine matters. The church isn't supposed to necessarily, I'm not supposed to impose, well, if he's not a Christian and he's not saved and he doesn't check all these boxes of being, you know, dispensational, premillennial, then I won't vote for him. You're not looking for a pastor. <laughs> Amen? You're looking for somebody who will keep you from going into prison for preaching the gospel. You want somebody who gives you that liberty. So go with that. Too many times doctrine gets in the way because, well, that just divides people. 
mean, you guys are so narrow-minded. Absolutely. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Why are you so narrow on all that stuff? Because you continue in the doctrine. That's how the church forms. The church forms combined on doctrine. What do we believe? What do we teach? What do we practice? How do we live our lives? What is it that we are trying to accomplish? What is the goal? And how can we meet that goal? Because ultimately, this absolutely teaches where you and the rest of the world will be divided. It teaches what you can and cannot have in your life, which automatically divides. All the time I have people, well, why don't you get to, I heard a message one time, I'm going to wrap up here. Um, I heard a message one time, I was at a, I was at a pastor's fellowship, and uh, I was preaching second, and the guy before me got up to preach, and it was supposed to be on love and unity of the churches. Because the guy who asked us to come was saying how, you know, there's so much divisiveness and so much schisms, and he wishes our churches in New York could work together a little bit better. I said, amen, let's do it. The guy got up before me, and he started talking about when, uh, when Billy Sunday came in. I was preaching over toward Buffalo. When Billy Sunday came in, the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Baptists all got together. And they took Sunday nights off of church so they could get the choir ready for a whole month before, before Billy Sunday came in. And we ought to get together. And I went, back when Billy Sunday was around, the Presbyterians and the Methodists at least preached the gospel. They don't preach the gospel now. They don't preach what you and I believe about salvation. That's crazy. Why would you do that? The man goes ahead and backhandedly talks down Dr. Ruckman. Tell you that won some awards from me. He knows where I went to school. He did it on purpose. So what's he doing? Discord. Being divisive. You're asked to come in and preach on unity, and you can't even figure out how to do that. And you'd rather unify with lost people than unify with a church that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior and holds on to the book. That tells you real quickly, you know what he has? He's got the wrong doctrine got the wrong idea of doctor i don't care what you think of dr ruckman doesn't bother me any you can like him or dislike him. doesn't matter to me one thing you can't disagree with is he held on to a book a whole lot better than anybody else and he preached it with all of his heart yeah i don't like him that's fine you don't have to like him doesn't matter to me what does matter that you have the right doctrine The church stands upon doctrine. The foundation of the church, and I've got to close. The foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's built upon His doctrine. And if you don't hold to that, there won't be anything left of a church. That's why they combine. That's why they come together and they continue in the apostles' doctrine. Because it puts everything in perspective. Because ultimately, when your doctrine is right, you'll divide from the people you're not supposed to, so you'll have the right fellowship. That makes it simple. 
And if you have the right fellowship, you know what you'll have? You'll have a good prayer life because you'll pray for who you're supposed to pray for. We'll get into that tonight. Father, uh, let's go ahead and stand. I'd say this probably is not like a barnstormer of a message where we're all going to get right with God. And, but I want you to think about this. A lot of people in the world, let alone in the United States, would love to have a church that just had good doctrine. And this week's Thanksgiving, and I know I didn't really preach on being thankful, but maybe you can just thank the Lord for a moment, even in your seat. Thank Him the Lord gave you a church that stands on a Bible, tries to have a good foundation, tries to stay right and do the right thing and teach the right thing. And I grew up in a church, this church. I didn't really have to worry about what I was taught. That's so much peace, so much easier because the foundation of doctrine was there. All I hope to do is continue it. All we can hope to do is just continue in the doctrine that we've been taught. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation now. Lord, I don't know if somebody here is lost. I pray they'd come forward if they are. They'd call upon Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray that you would just bless our, our time together. I thank you, Lord, for a wonderful book. Lord, the Bible that just stands and gives us all the answers that we need. I pray, Father, maybe someone this morning just needs some answers. I pray they'd call upon you and you'd supply the need. Lord, once again, bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen.